the Lost Boys of Hannibal podcast, can now be heard on the podbelly.com network. Visit them at www.podbelly.com. At approximately 5.15 p.m. on May 10th in 1967, three boys ages 11, 13, and 14 explore a cave near their house in Mark Twain's hometown of Hannibal, Missouri. Brothers Billy Hogue, Joel Hogue, and friend Craig Dow are never seen again. It is now 52 years later. This is their story. What's going on, Chris? Another day in paradise. Kind of a drag, huh? Kind of a drag. Right there at the outside of uh, October here, towards the end of September already. It's amazing how time flies when you're doing these podcasts and researching about these young lost boys. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of time goes by and a lot of stuff to process. You're always thinking about Are you always thinking about it? Constantly. Yeah. I mean, it, it was the same way when, when you do any kind of like investigation or case that you get in, but these... It's more frustrating than anything, and I think this episode really opens up on on a lot of your headaches. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even though part one was probably the toughest episode, and and a good reminder for the audience that you're going to have to keep going back to these two episodes unless you get the book or the speleological report that you can get by going to the Hannibal Police Department and requesting one. And if the lieutenant's okay with it, then you can get it. You know. Mm-hmm. So other than that, and pay a little money, pay a little money. Yeah. So. You know, it's better to just keep going back to part one and part two um, when you get kind of, what, wait, what happened? Like maybe, you know, if you really like the episode, you can sit with a pen and a piece of paper. Yeah. And uh, also we've had some stuff that are, it's on the Facebook page and it hopefully helps you out a little bit with that. But uh, again, yeah, go back to, go back to uh, the part one of uh, May 10th if you definitely need to catch up and even you know we might be four or five episodes along after this one you might still have to go back to uh you know the episode three to check that out i know i will be you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) me too yeah i'm glad i have notes so that helps a lot but you know and that's actually before we get into part two i think one of the things we need to talk about is kind of recapping part three or part one, I should say the timeline, the timeline, just sure. give an overview again, because it's so important that uh, we, we overview what that area is. And so let's start with the timeline. So we know at three fifty the bus stopped at uh, Fulton street, Joey and Craig got out. Billy was coming from stool school, which is right across the street. Uh, four o'clock Mike and Helen, they leave the house to go shopping for meat, mm-hmm. at the meat market. 4.05, was, so within 15 minutes of getting off the bus, Billy, Joey head out of the house, and they start heading down to the stone retaining wall to wait for Craig to join them, and Craig joins them a few minutes later. And then at 4.11 p.m., we see uh, our first uh, our first person to spot them, and that is the janitor at the school, Thomas Breedlove, which we'll talk again about today. Yep. And... That was at 4.11. At 4.14, a telephone lineman perched on a telephone pole. He sees the two boys. So he sees three to start with, then it ends up being two boys. So uh, then we come out to later to find out at 4.16 um, that the two boys started working their way down uh, towards the Southside Christian Church. And the reason why there's only two boys because Billy 
had to go back home and get those uh, get that shovel and flashlight. So he headed back home, and Craig and Joey went to Murphy's Cave. They later end up meeting up at around uh, 4.20. Uh, Billy passed two firemen that were outside the firehouse, and then about five minutes later, Craig and Joey passed him at 4.25. And uh, 4.30, we know that uh, Lynn Strobe and Johnny Janes saw uh, Craig, Joey, and Billy at uh at murphy's cave that's a that's a pretty good summation yeah um that gives the timeline back back in effect and as we left off our boys are still inside murphy's cave that's right so we're we're, we deciphered you know over the last couple weeks what we thought of that phrase and i think what it really came down to was looking at more of the evidence and more of the timeline and as you can see uh these boys leave the cave yeah get back in the cave he's coming Get back in. He's coming. That was the original. Get back in the cave. He's coming. It must have been, I guess, the line worker. Yeah. It's it's what they had seen. Um, it's it's really going back to Occam's Razor. Least amount of assumptions. Had to have been somebody that they could have gotten in trouble with and probably sent home when they still wanted to do an exploring. Right. And so where does this guy go? Yeah. So the time frame is around 435. The workman is near the cave entrance and he heard talking coming from the cave at the time. We assume that this was either uh, one of the was one of the three boys. He worked or went to the supply trailer, which is in the estimates of the report that we've been working on from uh, William Karras is about 84 second walk from the cave to the supply trailer. He was there for three to four minutes came back and the boys were not there. So that's where that kind of ends. Now, again, as you mentioned, are we, are they in there? Are they not? Yeah. The answer is they're, they're not, they're not, they have moved on. Now, remember that was four thirty-five, eighty-four 84 seconds. You're looking at four thirty-six. Um, so you know that by four thirty-six, sometime after four thirty-six, they took off and left. Well, we have our next person to see them. And this was a worker uh, just after four 30, according to a bridge worker who was leaving for the day, his quote was, I was crossing the railroad tracks heading for Jefferson street. When I saw the Hoke boys with another boy walking Southwest along the side of the hill, heading towards Ely street. And that is where the, um, that's where that guy saw him at. Now, the time frame's interesting with this because he says just after 4.30. And according to the linemen, and this is very important. Yeah. Um, according, according to that, or excuse me, according to that worker that went past, he saw them at around 4.30. You heard them in the caves. But that makes sense. 4.35, though. excuse me. 4.35? Yeah. And, and the, okay. railroad, the, the guy that was working for the bridge says after 4.30. So, again, we're at that 4.35, 440 time frame. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, it's fair to be a couple minutes, even a half hour off sometimes in some of these reports. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, but but, you know, on the flip side of that too, this is pretty important because of trying to know exactly the path that they took before they disappeared. Agreed. Now moving on E Lee street, as we found out, we had to do some searching on <laughs> saying Eli, Eli, yeah. Ely Street. Um, it, it, we we did some measuring and we went on Google from the Murphy's Cave location to the next location that they are spotted, which is um, is a little ways down Ely Street. Uh, it is approximately two thousand seventy feet, or just under four tenths of a mile. 
We'll talk about why that's important later. Uh, according to Karis, it took three minutes and 26 seconds to walk this path at a moderate pace. And also wanted to point out that um, this is a path that's actually worn. So it's not like you're walking through brush or walking through something difficult. Um, this path's been used quite a lot. Uh, so that's where we're at now. So now we're at the end of Ely Street. And I guess Bear Creek is right there too, right? Bear Creek's right there. The railroad tracks are right there as well. Yeah. Um, so there, there's a, a, quite a few things right in that area. Carl Herner is the next person we're going to talk to. He is a, was at a friend's house on Ely Street and was uh, leaving to meet his wife who gets off work at 5 p.m. As uh, Mr. Herner approached Ely Street Bridge, his attention went to a guy putting hip boots into the back of a blue pickup truck. At this instant, he also saw three boys. They were walking beyond the truck. The smallest of the three, which we assume is Billy, was walking ahead of the two carrying a small shovel. So we still have our, our military type shovel and, uh, Mr. Herner placed the time between four thirty and four forty five. It's a scene out of, you know, uh, Andy Griffith's show. Oh yeah. Yeah. And to make a correction on that, I think I said, uh, Mount Pleasant. It's actually Mount Airy. Oh, Mount Pleasant is the Mothman. But I did want to make that, um, that point because we made a mistake about the location of that. It is in North Carolina. It's called Mount Airy. That's where they filmed all of um, the Andy Griffith oh, show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Way back in episode one. Yeah. <laughs> but just like that, that little description of him kind of walking out front with a shovel on his back and, mm-hmm. and the two guys, like you know, his two other friends and, and cohorts following him. Just I can see the silhouette in my head, you know? Yeah. He was also, and something else was in the report, is that um, Billy was hitting the trees with his shovel as he was walking <laughs> along. So they put a little bit of a image into your background there. Uh, also wanted to point out so the guy with the hip boots, it was later found out he was not putting hip boots into the back of his truck, but li- instead it was inner tubes, uh, into his trucks, so like tire inner tubes that you used to have back in the day. Um, so that's what he was doing. They ended up interviewing the guy. He was able to also confirm that he saw two, he saw the two boys or actually three boys walking behind the house on Ely street closest to the hill with the youngest holding the military type shovel. So that puts, gives us two people that, uh, can put the boys at this location around that time. Okay. All right. So from this part, um, back to the start, right? We have sometime between 4.35 and 5 p.m., Billy once again separates from Joey and Craig and heads home. So this is where we wanted you, we've been prepping you guys because we just gave you a timeline where they're on Ely Street and it's past 4.30 and stuff. But we do, do know for a fact in the big report that we have from the speleological report, because Chris loves that word, <laughs> According to the report by William Karras, Billy went home to change shoes. This is not specifically mentioned in the report, but indirectly in the position plate that accompanied the search map in the report. Yeah, it's it's very weird. It's odd. And, and, and to me, that seems like a very kind of big piece of the puzzle, but it's not mentioned in the, the t- typed report at all. Instead, it's this little bitty paragraph, a little bitty subnote on this page that explains what all your numbers correlate with your with what's on the map, and that's the only place it's ever explained at. The interesting thing about that piece right there, too, is when, you, when you're looking at these shoes, you kind of wonder, well, 
Were he was he wearing his good shoes? Did he want hiking boots? Did he want was there? A Did thing? they get wet? Did they get wet? I mean, exactly. Was he going to get trench foot if he stayed in them or something? There's just this oddity that here's another chance where the older brothers and siblings don't catch him. Yeah, he's right there. Billy's right there. The youngest too, right there. You know, and so it is kind of not even want to break that down for you. At 4:45 p.m., approximately 10 minutes since the boys were last seen. Bill Dexheimer was leaving his house on Riverside Street, and he sees Greg and Joey walking east on the street. Bill exchanges greetings, and Joey and Craig continue on. At about 5 p.m., Wayne Woodson passed the Southside Christian Church and saw a young boy walking alone on Cypress Street carrying a military-type entrenching shovel. This was the proof that Billy separated from Craig and Joey. So, yeah, that that's the proof. But, again, we... Only Bill Karras knows for some reason that he went to go change shoes. Or William Karras. That's so weird. How how does he know? Who knows? We'll get into that later. I'm sorry. I'm getting all excited about it. (laughs) I know. It's just, it is just odd. There's nowhere else where this this is reported. No. No. So so that puts, uh, so at this point in time, they're separated. So we know that. Now, around 5 p.m., as you mentioned, Wayne Woodson saw Billy uh, carrying the shovel. Um, and then we kind of have about a 10 minute stretch where nobody sees them. So that puts Correct. us into the last sightings of, of the, of the boys at five ten PM school teacher, Louise Kohler was returning home after a teacher's meeting. She just turned on to Fulton to Cyprus when she spotted three boys who were squatting on the first terrace level of the highway cut, watching the workers below. Now let's give you a little more information where this at. This is the, uh, location is on the east side of the highway cut. So you have to cross the highway cut and then there's, they've, they've built and which is still there today, by the way, there's two levels. So there's a kind of a hill and then a flat area and then another hill and another flat area. They were on that first terrace. And she also mentioned that they saw something that she saw something in Billy's hand, but couldn't identify what it was at that point in time. It probably was, the shovel. It was probably the shovel. That was uh, Mrs. Kohler's report. Then at 5.15 p.m., we talk about Thomas Breedlove, who we talked in the last episode, who saw them at 4.11 p.m., uh, saw them as he was doing his custodial duties, and it now is 5.15, and he is finishing up for the day, and and I did read into this a little bit more. So what happens is is Thomas goes around, clean, does all the cleaning, then right before he leaves, he goes back through all the rooms and closes the windows. That's why he's in the same room, 202, as he was at 411, because now he's going through and closing the windows. There's no central error at this point no. in 1967, so there's a reason for him to be closing and opening windows. Yep, and so again, he looks out the windows, he's closing it, he spots the three boys, now they're on the top terrace level of the highway 79 cut so they're which on that is right level. by which is the same as lover's leap yeah yeah it's just a kind of a it's a i would say a 15 15 feet drop and then 30 total to the street so they're about what would you say 15 feet high maybe 20 feet high yeah that seems about about right so uh and we'll try getting a picture of that because it's still there today so. it's in some of the drone shots too okay good on yes the website. so you'll be able to see that um see how that kind of levels out this moves us to 5 15 p.m stole school the custodian we talked about earlier thomas breedlove he 
was uh, the one we talked about that saw him at 4.11 p.m. He sees him once again as he's finishing up his duties. And just to give you a little bit of clarity on how this works is that he goes around and cleans up all the rooms. Then as he's getting ready to leave, he goes back and closes all the windows. That's correct. Yeah. And the reason why is because there's really no AC in 1967. So I'm sure he kept all the windows open while he did his uh, custodial duties. And then, of course, not having, you know, our young adventurers break in the school at night, they close all the windows. <laughs> it's two, room 202. In room 202, is the same room he saw him at at 4.11 p.m. This time he spots the three boys. They're on the top level. We mentioned that before they were on the second level terrace when uh, Mrs. Kohler saw him. Now they've moved up to the next level of that terrace. And... They are sitting there, and he watches them for a few minutes, and and then he closes the door and goes home. This was the last time the three boys were ever seen. That's all the testimony. You know, as we we segue here into the, I guess, William Karras, where are they? I think he he's even quoted by saying that, and and you know we'll get into a Karras in another episode. But at at the very heart of it, regardless of what his motivations were for his own ego and self there still is a is a yearning here to i mean any anything you read on this everybody assumes they're going to grab these boys you're going to find them within you know two or three hours and this is just not the case uh, may 10th 1967 would would be the last as chris said 515 the last time anybody ever saw them and he spoke to them um or had any interactions with them and they're not in a cave they're, they're, they're not in a cave. They're 30 feet above a cave. At 5.15. At 5.15. And we know that the church social thing, right, starts at what, 6? Yeah. Um, let's get into that a little bit. Let's let's talk about what happens afterwards, and that kind of leads up to that. Uh, at 5.15, you mentioned David Bentley earlier. I did. Uh, David Bentley, he stops by the hoax house to find out where, where Billy and Joel, Joey are at. And Helen is back home. Remember, Helen and Mike went to the meat market earlier. They're back home. So we know they're home at 5.15 p.m. And this is going to be going back. Remember the shoes. We'll come back to that. Remember mm-hmm. the shoes. I think this is important. Uh, but Helen was there. She answers the door and David says, Hey, where are they here? And she goes, no, they're not here. But if you see them, tell them to hurry home if they want to go to the church youth meeting. And that was a direct quote from Helen. Yeah. David Bentley is 14 years old. He's another neighborhood friend. Um, same age as uh, Greg Dowell, just to put that in perspective, um, had hung up with them before. Once again, neighborhood, the neighborhood uh, kids were very tight-knit and close. They were pretty much probably all blood brothers and stuff like that. Yeah, that ends that conversation, and David ends up taking off, and as we know, David doesn't see them. So around 545, Tim Hogue, as we mentioned earlier, one of the older brothers for Billy and Joel, Joey, heads out to search for his brothers because he knows that it's they got to get home. They, they should be home. He was Here, also left in charge, though, Chris, too. I think there's a little bit of guilt, a little bit of anger, a little bit of frustration. As they, I think even Tim says it to himself under his breath that these kids know better to be home at a certain time when we tell them to be home and they're just being defiant at that point. And that's that frustration that, that Tim gets. And Tim thinks knows where he needs to go. Yeah. Cause he's done it when he was a kid. Yeah. He, he heads to the place where all the kids are going right now. And that is Murphy's cave. So Tim heads that direction. He arrives, he sees the Bramlett boys. We all know the Bramlett boys. All 
500 of them. Yeah, exactly. He talks to the Bramlett boys, finds out that they saw... Remember, Bramlett saw the the three boys go into the caves. That's right. the last information the Bramlets had. And they're young and they're not mm-hmm. following these boys around. They don't know that they were on top of Lover's Leap. Yep. Exactly. So Tim talks to them. He finds out, okay, they're in the cave. They're in Murphy's cave. So he goes up to Murphy's cave and he then he realizes um that that he's not going to be able to go in and look for him. He, he doesn't, doesn't have a flashlight. Doesn't have flashlight. So instead, what he does, he goes back home, and as he's going back home, he sees a bus full of youngsters passing him, and we that bus full of youngsters is that church youth group that's going to their meeting tonight. It was a bus. Remember, the Hogue family did not own a car. Exactly. So if they were going, they had to be by that bus stop. And I think that when you think of a lot of different in illustrations of how these kids are going to get back to that or the youth group or maybe they just blew it off because they were having too much fun or or time got away with them. At the same time, these kids are waving out the windows and they're screaming at Tim because everybody knows the Hogue boys. Hey, Tim, hi, Hogue. And they're laughing and as the bus goes by. And so we'll come back to this because I still have a lot of questions about this bus uh, and why Tim is looking for them at the caves. But once again, our um, favorite group of boys uh, that's on there, right? The Bramlets. He heads back home. Yes, so he heads back home and uh, he notifies his mom and dad that he thinks they're in the caves and I'm coming to get a flashlight. I'm going to go look for him. Well, Helen and Tim decide that they're going to go with him. So they return to the cave with him. They begin yelling into the cave, yelling for for Joey and Billy and get no response, get no response. Tim, who's, as you mentioned, explored the caves before, realizes that with the sheer size of how big this cave is, they're just not going to be able to yell in there and get their attention or, or be able to walk in and find them just that easy. So Helen, at that time, decides to go over to Mr. and Mrs. J. Allen's house, who's on Walnut Street, again, a street that's right across the road from the cave. And at exactly 6.26 p.m. on Wednesday, May 10th, the first call comes in to the Hannibal Police Department. And now everything is surrounds us. When you start to do, I mean, what we're breaking into right now is kind of the analysis. We're, we're going to go away from our notes here, and we're going to kind of kind of dig down and it's kind of funny that when you first read through it, even if you've read John Wingate's book, you don't get it all at one point. You don't get the whole Murphy's Cave connection until you have the Bramlett boys. I think that that is what you said in the last episode, too. It is such a crucial part of the information because everything is based on those boys' testimony. Right. Everything. Yeah. And it, 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 it guides everybody's direction, and it guides Tim's direction. It guides the police department's direction when they get there, which we'll talk about in the next episode. Everybody's directed towards Murphy's Cave because that was the last place that they saw. It was not until later on that you get the report from Dexheimer or, or Lois Kohler. Those reports don't come until the following days. And then Thomas uh, Breedlove, which is really... The, the nail in the coffin. Right. You know, like, well, because listen, when you look at it from the perspective of, here's another thing um, that the more you look at it, the more things come to your mind. And this happened with a couple other cases that we worked. You know, we would come back to the research after four or five years and we discover something new. I find it odd that the parents come out. This must have been um, really late for them. Yeah. Or, or maybe they're really concerned. Yeah. That something wasn't right. And especially with probably Tim's concern going back to the house and saying, I got to get a flashlight. They're in the cave. I'll go find them. And mom and dad are like, we'll come with you. 
Um, yeah. You know, and just, that just stands to reason like how, how late are they normally coming? Right. Um, yeah. The, there's your can of worms, a 12 pack of worms right there is not only why are they late, but we also have some more questions that we don't have answers to on this point. And that has to do with the timing of when that bus was supposed to leave for the, for the group. That's something that we need to investigate more because if was the bus supposed to be leaving at 545, well, why were the kids still there at 515 when they were having dirty clothes and dirty shoes? They had to go change. They had to get ready for the bus. What time was that bus supposed to come through? Yeah. If they're rolling at six, I mean, the, the church is, I guess you estimate the church is 15 minutes away. Yeah. Because if you're leaving at 545, no, it couldn't have been because when Tim is walking back, it's around that time and he, they're already in the bus. Those kids had to be at the bus probably at 530. Or yeah, five thirty, five forty-five. That's a good point yeah. because we know well, and we know for sure that that Tim leaves at five forty-five. So it could be sometime between five forty-five and six o'clock before that bus comes through that. And that's area. just eerie too. Yeah, there's an eeriness to all those kids waving at him, like waving goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Like there, there's a there's a sickness there, and when the cops are called, would you say it's six twenty-six? Yep. And it's very specific as what's going on. And they come out, they investigate. But I think this is where that turning point really happens. And I guess the biggest, when you look, it's easy for us, for me and for me and Chris to look at all this information and be like, okay, well, hindsight's twenty twenty. Well, yeah, everything's in front of us, right? We have the timeline. They didn't have the timeline. Right. You know, they don't know this very strange path they took. It's an oddity. When you really look at it, Yeah, it's odd. Let's let, let's get into that first. Yeah, we have time. Let's talk about that. The, the and we've talked about this before before doing this episode about how what exactly prompted the three boys to take the long routes to Ely Street. And the one thing that kind of sticks with my mind is that 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 workman that we talked about earlier, the workman made him nervous. And so the workmen wanted, like they thought, Oh, we're going to get in trouble. But I have a problem with that too. The, 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 we're going to get in trouble. Let's run around the backside of the hill. But they've been running around on the, on the cut, the, the highway 79 cutout for three days now. And on Monday they got warned. Don't don't go into those caves. So they've been warned before. What difference does it make with that workman telling him not to? That you know, if they hear that workman yelling at him to get out of the caves, why are they going to go running around the hill? When you look at it from the, the ten thousand foot view that we're looking at right now, I have this map in my hand. This looks like a path of evading something. Yeah, whether it's a road, I'm, and I know, I, I you know, I'm putting like I said. I said in the beginning of the show, there's a lot of assumptions at this point because we have nothing to go on. The research is pretty much done. It's over. We know the outcome of this because they're still missing. Mm-hmm. So this is really where the the, the podcast kind of takes a turn into Occam's Razor, into the research, into all the true crime statistics, into all the cave statistics. Like This is where everything tries to follow a path of logical... Why would three... It, it, it's just... And I guess you're not, I mean, I'll share it on Facebook and I'll share it, it's already shared on Facebook, but I'll share it on the, the gallery page too on our website. And you're going to be like, oh, I see what you guys are saying. Because I, I see where twenty eight position 28 is. That's the last time they're seen. 
right? But prior to that, there, there there's this big walk around. If you have to get to a church social and you want to explore a cave cut road and a cave, sorry, the, the road cut and the mm-hmm. caves on it, it comes back to your question, Chris. Like, why the hell are you not making good time It's not time the here? most direct route. It's just not. No, it's a very indirect route. And okay, so, and we got to talk about this too, but we'll, we'll start with this spot. We knew there was something to do with the shoes, with Billy's shoes. Oh, Billy's shoes are still... Billy's shoes happens when they go with Ely Street. When they come up Ely Street, then at some point in time, they separate out. Billy goes and does his thing. Craig and, and Joey go and do their thing. So, but why, even if you're going to go back to the house and, and, and Billy needs to change his shoes, that's not the most direct route to get to the house. Yeah, they're evading somebody or something. Um, we did do some search. I will, we will make sure this is up. I'll, uh, I'll make a note of this. We did do a Google search of based on where they came up out of the uh, walk area. There was a little path that got them up on top of the hill, which got them on the backside to do the walk around. No matter how you cut it, it's a half a mile. No matter how they walked it, it was a half a mile. It takes 13 minutes. There's still some timing issues with this mm-hmm. because when they were solid, I believe, let me double check, the 435, um, they were solid on, the, on Ely Street. Now, at 445... Bill Dexheimer sees them. Right. They can't walk that far in that time frame. And that's frame. what I'm saying. They're they're making good time. Yeah. Which means they're running from something or someone. I know that's a yeah. fet, but it doesn't make sense that they would be just walking around. Do you think they're going in the caves because they want to explore them? Or they're yeah, going I do I do think that. Okay. Or they're going into the caves to lose someone. Maybe not originally. Now, you brought this up, and I, I don't disagree with it. Uh, it's Every, po- everything possible. I mean, this is... Again, know, very theor- theoretical. All theor- no one, this is all... It's not conjecture, but it is assumption. We talked about this. It, it is... We we saw the Strode boy, Jane's boy, all the Bramlets in the cave. At whatever time, 4.30 p.m., was Joey, Billy, and Craig the only ones in Murphy's cave? Yeah, that's another thing that's strange, too. Yeah. And once again, they're waiting. They're waiting for Billy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like all that timing is always because of Billy. Billy's yeah. getting a shovel. Billy's getting his shoes. Yeah. And so you're you're strengthening. It seems like the boys get out of school, all of them, the neighborhood kids, get out of school. They go cave exploring. They got to be back before dinner. For some reason, 545 is too late for Mike and Helen. I mean, they go out with Tim to go search the caves. Now, a couple of things raced through my mind, and we can ask them. A couple of them, Tim is gone, the parents are gone, but a couple other sisters and siblings are left. We could probably ask them, like, what made them go to the caves this time? Mm-hmm. Something perpetuated that. Um, and maybe it was a church social. But the thing that, that I want to bring up again uh, to the side conversation we had before the podcast, if they all knew they were going to the church and people that were at the house knew they were going to church and they only assumed that they're in the caves because of the Bramlett boys. Did anybody assume that they were already on the church bush and they were headed to church and that's why they couldn't be found? Mm. Okay. So that's a good point. That signifies that they would have, they had to come home that they did not come home. They had to come home before going to church. Most right. likely it was to change clothes. We had that discussion where did they really need to change clothes? Would go to this youth group meeting. 
from the sounds of it, yes, they would have to go home to change clothes because now mom and dad don't know where they're at because they never got on the bus. They never got home. They never got to the bus. So I think that answers that question is that they had to come home before getting on that bus. So now let's, let's really, let's thicken the roux, right? If you come home and you get dressed for church, realizing you left the bus and lost the bus, these three kids were known for hitchhiking. Do they at this point then say, oh, shit, we missed the damn bus. Now we got to get to the church or we're going to get in trouble. Everybody's expecting us there. They take a ride from a stranger and they're never seen again. I'm just putting this out there to set up other episodes as well because we have to take this. You have to. This case was never treated as a missing persons case. Right. There's never been a there's never been a missing persons case filed. Uh, The Hannibal Police Department, even though they were involved, never had any sort of um any sort of paperwork no there's no police report right yeah there's no police report there's nothing in the handle police department that's a really good point i Um, mean it's i mean you you came up with that scenario too you kept thinking well well why would because we're when you look at the map and the one we'll upload will have the highlights on them right you also have to understand that highway 79 is not complete you can't drive on this road so there's only a couple ways out of town and one of those ways out of town is Fulton Avenue, and that is toward the church because that is where the direction of the bus is going. We're not 100% sure about that. Well, it, no, it, Tim was walking home. Yeah, but it, it's possible that there was, even though the Highway 79 was, was the cut, cut was being cut and there was not a road there at that time, pretty sure the only way that you would have been able to get to downtown was to have some sort of walk or some sort of driving path across like Fulton Avenue across the 79 cut to get to main street right. and main street goes to your downtown. So, and then Jefferson was open as well because that's what the one worker was heading toward. Right. Yeah. So, and, and even if he was working on this bridge that crossed bear Creek, he's going down to Jefferson. If he's going to go back down to downtown, he's hit main street and then going across. Correct. So, yeah, uh, I know we're jumping around a lot on this, and, and and I know that's a lot to process, but there's so many questions. There's we so have, many questions. We have a lot. We have some assumptions, and I don't know. When you when you get to the very the thick of it, right, when you get to the bottom of you know all these notes that we've been taking and visiting Hannibal, you know, you get, you get to a certain place where it, logic isn't making sense anymore. Like I, we don't know the boys, we don't know the we don't know, we know their behaviors a little bit, right? I mean, you're and you're only basing that a lot on what we've known from hearsay from other boys. Mm-hmm. So I guess I don't know. In in your mind, if they are stuck in a cave, right? If we're going to the percentages now. <laughs> if we're going to if we're going. To the Chris Ketter's percentages, the analytics of what happened. You're still at what, 50%? 50%. 50% that they're in the cave still. Or that they were they were somehow trapped in the cave. Um, and, and, and I'm going to go, again, we'll say this probably, probably about 106 times more between now and the end of this podcast, but Alchem's Razor. Mm-hmm. That's the technically, the to me, that's the most, most logical outcome. Alchem's Razor... Just so you know, most logical outcome based on the least amount of assumptions. Yeah. So at this point, it's Occam's razor is based on the Bramlett boys, though. 
going to Murphy's Cave, that they're in Murphy's Cave. But that as of right now, but in the days to come. How would three boys go missing on top of Lover's Leap? <laughs> That's the question. That's the Occam's Razor. Yeah. So if you do where they actually were versus where they said they were, and that's what's coming up in the next episode, which is the dig. The dig. We'll get into um, William Karras, which you've heard us say his name a ton of times. He'll be up. We'll talk about where they started at with Murphy's Cave, how they progressed to other locations, and uh, possibly other potential outcomes, even that they were thinking of back in 1967. The dig is a, is a huge part of this case, and it's really what ends up costing $1 million when it was all said and done over a month's worth of work to dig up the roads, deface caves, dig other holes up in other abandoned areas. They searched almost every cave within those miles, those square inches. And so understanding how that was done. Yeah. I do want to point out one thing before we head out. Sure. If if you're on Facebook and you haven't liked our Facebook page yet, do that because I want you to go on there and tell me what you think the outcome of why Billy went back to change his shoes is. Yeah, you're just stuck on it. <laughs> I am. I it's insane. It. <laughs> you can't move it. All right. From all of us here at the Lost Boys podcast, um, it's an exciting journey, but hold tight. A lot more stuff is coming in. Like I said, we still have the boxes of condolence letters. We still have possible leads and suspects, possible serial killers, a lot of different interesting aspects of what could have happened to these three boys atop of Lover's Leap. I'm Frankie Cambaletta. I'm Chris Ketters. We'll be seeing you.